0: Blob Talk Radio
1: Good evening, welcome to Monetary Life. This is Robert Fisher, your host. I have the great pleasure tonight of welcoming Na Nguyen, who should be calling in any moment. Na is the founder and facilitator for Inner Compass, an entity designed to align the inner self with outer meaningful work. I can't wait to learn more about that. Na is also an independent UX design strategist working at the intersection of business, design, and various industries such as fashion, e-commerce, healthcare, wellness, and media entertainment. In addition to all that, Na is also a certified yoga instructor a level one Reiki teacher and Qigong instructor. So this is a continuation in a sense of the show that we had scheduled for last week. Uh, There was some technical issues and a bit of a misunderstanding, but tonight hopefully it should all go smoothly. And while we're waiting for not to call in, which should be any moment. Um, let, re- let me remind all our listeners that at Monergy Life, we try and bring on many different guests. Now, here's Na right now.
0: Na, is that good you? Good evening. Yes, good it evening. is. Thank you for having me. Yes, good evening. Well,
1: welcome, to, welcome to Monergy Life. I was just uh, through introducing you and was hoping you would call in at this moment. Uh, it's perfect timing. How are you this evening?
0: I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me this evening.
1: It's my pleasure and the pleasure of all our listeners. So, Nai, if you could tell us, what is interdisciplinary design?
0: Well, it's a weaving of the different um, practices that I have. I was actually in fashion design as a designer and a merchandiser 15 years prior to my pivot into my current role as a an experienced designer and strategist for um for companies both startups and large institutions.
1: Mhm.
0: So is and, that a, uh, is interp-
1: is interdisciplinary design something that one could actually study for or one just actually becomes somebody who does that by virtue of the work that you choose?
0: I prefer to define it as how you have positioned it as the latter and that I don't think we should really label ourselves. One of my biggest frustrations within society is that we are very easily labeled to be a student or, uh, let's say, an expert in one thing. And I like to consider myself as a generalist because after getting to know myself, um, I'm a perpetual student. I love learning new things. And I realized that, um, you know, I don't want to stop learning and I don't want to work in one particular field. And so whether you take it as a profession or as a hobby, I think each and one of us, you know, are able to be interdisciplinary as long as you have that fire and that desire to learn and to make or break and to um, share that with the world.
1: I, I really like that approach. In fact, uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned the concept of not labeling things because uh, I selected that as a topic for a blog post today A World Without Labels. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> what synchronicity is that? I just love that, that we're like yeah. tapped into the same wavelength. And we haven't even spoken to each other in like, I don't know, like two weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I started
1: to write it earlier today. I haven't finished it, but it became apparent to me. I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, Me too. I've I've always, especially like in the last year or so, I've been really sensitive when people have tried to put me in a box and label me. In fact, I've downright cringed when it's happened. And it really made me wonder... Yeah, it made me wonder why there's such a strong predilection for people to do that in our
0: society. Any thoughts on that? Um, I'm glad that you asked because I think I've been thinking the same thing, and I've actually been putting notes in, in my phone on this topic as well. And, you know, I think we're in a, a place where people want to get to know that, you know, whether it's a person or what is it that you read right away. And it has to do something with our impatience to wanting to know so quickly. And I think we also touched upon attention, and I think we're so short on attention. We want to know things right away, given how, um, you know, modern-day life and age of things around us has shaped us. So we're in a way we we can't help in a way. We're drawn to want to know And I think having a title, a label, gives that uh, knowledge right away. And I don't want to say understanding because I don't think you get to understand from a glance of things and the difference between knowledge and understanding. But we want to know. We want to put a label so that we can identify quickly.
1: Right. I, I don't disagree with what you said. I have some additional thoughts on the matter. I think it has to do with people being very lazy. In terms of <laughs> really <laughs> no, I, love it. I,
0: I like having i like having this like you know you have a different insight too, but i but that yeah yeah, that is, yeah, they're very wow. quick to judge and you're you're right um, could you ex, you know uh, elaborate that a little bit more
1: sure, I think that you know people are um They're inundated with what they think is such important information they need to process. Personally, I think that most of the information that people are assaulted with, probably 90% of it is completely irrelevant, and it's not going to help them in their life. But nevertheless, people seem to find great importance in information today. Uh, By the way, I think that's really shifting as we speak, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But I think it comes down to... If you could label somebody as, say, a product analyst, for instance, well, you don't have to think anymore when you talk about that person or when you meet them. You don't have to make the effort to find out, hey, maybe they've evolved. Maybe they're not doing that anymore. Maybe they've shifted to another aspect of that work. So it's really laziness. and. (laughs) <laughs> and the fact that people are inundated with a lot of worthless information that they seem to crave. I, I scratch my head about it because I don't really see that people's lives are any better by being addicted to all the information that they seem to crave. Do you?
0: Yeah. I, I, it's, I think it's also what people want for themselves, Um you know, I think we we're so looking outward to know outwardly, and we're finding like you know the more we know, the more satisfaction, but then it ends up being more chaotic and leading us astray to know what truly what we want. And um, I think for me, back to the interdisciplinary, I think it also plays into understanding the world around me. And I think that's why it helps shape my understanding by learning different things around the world that I live in. And I think a lot of it stems from curiosity.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I think,
0: you know, we're living in a time
1: where it's really dangerous to have expectations about any experience you're about to have or to have any assumptions about the people you're going to meet. Because they, you're going to be very surprised, I think. <laughs> you know, in terms of the reality of what you experience versus what you project in advance. And I think that's something that's kind of new that's happening right now in the, um, in the collective consciousness. And I don't think it was so true, say, five years ago. But I think now because things are changing so quickly for everybody, and people are being assaulted with all kinds of projections and information that it's almost impossible to stand still on whatever you're doing. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, what you have brought up, my my immediate – I'd like to pose this to you and also the audience, you know, how do we filter? You know, what are the things that can we do to filter – information so that we have quality information versus a barrage of information. Um, so yeah, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that as well. If you have any things that you've been working on.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a really great question. And I think initially my response to that question would be just to completely step away from being assaulted. So that means, um, Let's say you're going out with um, your friends or you're going out on a date with somebody. Um, you know you're going to be gone for three or four hours. And you know already where you're meeting your friends, so it's not a question of arranging that. So take the risk and leave your phone at home. And just experience what you're going to experience going to that place, having dinner, meeting your friends, having drinks, whatever you're going to do without the distraction of having to check your phone every 10 minutes.
0: I yeah. think that's the first
1: step, to try it and see how it feels. Uh, for some people, that's a very radical notion. I've been doing that for, you know, yeah, um, it's like a, a security blanket. Like the world is going to yeah, collapse and they're going to have to be notified in the next four hours, you know. Uh, yeah. However, I I've been chuckled. doing that for the last year. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm impressed. I'm very, very impressed. I got a chuckle because just the thought of that is like, you know, oh my God, I'm like going to be disconnected. And I, you're right. It is a security blanket. Um, but that's an interesting exercise to to have us challenge that um, every now and then I like to have like a, a Sunday with like where I just turn off the device and be device free. Cool. Um, and uh-huh. that's, relaxing or sometimes um, I'm also like hypersensitive. And so sometimes I end up having to turn off all the electricity in my room. And oh. as you mentioned the word assaulted, one of the things I've noticed is the la- the, the decibel level. When you attend a, a bar, a lounge, a restaurant, a coffee shop, have you noticed the the noise level that they have in these settings?
1: Well, it varies depending on where you go and the atmosphere they're trying to create. Yeah. So the well, conditions, I, what, I
0: think, also.
1: Right. But I, I think it's just an interesting exercise. I mean, you know, you and I belong to the assemblage, and, and I've seen people at events who are part of the assemblage hierarchy who maybe should know better. You know, they're standing in the back after they introduce a particular speaker who they proclaim is so important and they're completely distracted on their phone. They're not even listening.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, you know, it's. It, I think it comes down to being present in the moment and what is going to help you to be present in the moment you're living in right now. I think we're moving in that direction.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's even more challenging being in the city, I think. And I don't know. I have you know, I actually grew up in the suburbs, and I'm wondering if the environment, you know, in other cities in America or other parts of the world, is any different from us living here in New York City with the challenge yeah. of um, being present. Well,
1: from what I could see from the places I visited, both in the U.S. and around the world, it's not that much different anymore. Mm, okay. Uh, and in, and, in fact, the addiction to, you know, the smartphone is only growing in less developed parts of the world because uh, their landlines aren't so efficient and people, you know, I think they're even more addicted to it than here on a certain level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it might it might even be like some kind of a status symbol in other countries, more so than even here, where it's a necessity here. So I, I think you yeah. got that well, going on
0: i I read somewhere that in the third world country they actually have cell phones more than plumbing and running water, and um, oh, yeah. part of it yeah, that's yeah and it part is. of it is part of it is also their whole government as well sometimes they're relying on their phones for uh financial you know banking and exchanges because it, their their current government structure is not um very reliable, and I know there's a lot of innovation that they're looking into mobile phones because even in third world country, they are very reliable in, in that particular device exactly. for their daily living.
1: Right. Well, let's get back to you for a moment because I love the term inner compass. Tell us a little bit more about how you could suggest people to align their inner self with work they do in the external world.
0: Oh, wow. Um It's been a journey and inner compass is really about channeling inside ourselves. Um, I think I was very discontent with myself for the longest time by, you know, making a certain amount of money and having a certain title in my career and fashion and everything. And I reached that point and I, it was just all meaningless for me. And back in mid two thousands, I felt like I was a zombie feeling is that you're alive, but you're you're dead inside. That's the best feeling that I can articulate. And I wasn't suicidal or anything. And at that time, looking back, I don't think I admitted that I was very, very depressed. Um, When you're crying every day, I think that's a problem. And I think it really deteriorated my physical health. Um, Long story short, I made a journey back then. Um, That was my first time that I I really let go and I quit my job, traveled and did a very spiritual travel around Asia um, and visiting many temples. And I didn't know my roots. I was born in Vietnam, moved to America. And I was like, well, I don't really feel fit in there and there. And when I traveled, I want to connect with my roots and maybe I feel a recognition. And back in my travel, I didn't feel connected to my home country either. And as a result, up till today, from my um, many different travels, I realized I sit in nowhere and everywhere at the same time, and it was through the process of kind of letting go and unpacking everything that I thought I wanted based on family, culture, society, and being totally empty, being totally vulnerable and really, truly asking myself, you know, what resonated with me? And I started writing. I started not like long journals, but just tidbits, key words that really started to shape the direction that I wanted to go towards. And that's how Inner Compass started out was really the self-inquiry, you know, what are the things that are most important to me that resonated with me? And that fulfilled me in a way that I feel embodied, total, and not striving. Like you can just sit and be and just be totally fulfilled. And um, so that was my journey of really inquiring the things that I do in my life, all down to the clothing, the furniture, (laughs) the type of paint job that I'm attracted to within a room, Um, everything, if you can question, like, what stirs your emotion, what delights you, what satisfies you, and, um, you know, moving towards that direction that you can really contribute something greater. And I don't think it's always about a feel-good thing either. It's also deep, deep questioning, you know, the things that you fear most and also confronting the things that you're most uncomfortable with. And um, I realize I'm very uncomfortable of sharing, of of asking for help. And I think the inner compass was, uh, well, it started out from my yoga training. That really helped me further in uh, inner compass. And it's part of my healing process as well. And just sharing the knowledge of what I learn, both from my personal and practical and professional world, and that was a continuation of my karma work and also my process of going inward to finding that path outward.
1: Well, uh, you know, I think that's beautiful. And I'm sure our listeners agree with you. Um, what key words came to mind when you were making this journey and you were shifting your focus?
0: Keywords. Um Wow, I actually listed a few, and I posted it on my instagram and I'm trying to think now this was back in like probably eight to ten years ago. Um, I think the key word is acceptance oh. yeah, um and I, I love- think this is could be uh, different for everyone, but for me was accepting who I am, like your essence. And I probably was denying who I was and I was probably being someone who I wasn't. And that's the cause of suffering and unhappiness. Wow. That, That
1: seems to be a sentiment that's infused with a Buddhist principle of acceptance. And so if I might ask, if it's not too personal, who did you find out that you are?
0: I'm still on that path and that process. And, um, I'm learning about myself, and I don't know if it's going to – I don't think I've arrived at understanding fully who I am because I'm a dichotomy, and I actually was seeking who I was. And, um, you know, for me, it's just really observing my attitude, my ego, um, what I feel, and why did I react in that situation that I did, you know? Was that my true me? And I have repercussions. I don't know if anyone in the audience have had this, that you're in a conversation, it goes great, someone (laughs) said something, and you responded very negatively. And the repercussion of that, you know, whether it's five minutes later or five hours later or five days later, you feel like not so great. You know that your response was incorrect. And sometimes it's you know, comes as guilt, sometimes it comes in a variation, whatever you want to... Label that feeling, but I did not like that feeling, and I think I would oh. love so that I'm more aware that I don't have those repercussions, you know. And I realize the only tool is awareness that I'm able to observe myself and not catch myself in that moment, so I don't have those negative repercussions. Um, oh. So I am in the process still in in, in learning about that about myself. Right.
1: So by your desire to avoid repercussions uh, from a negative reaction, basically you're, you're trying to be less reactive, I suppose, uh, and more more the observer and not reacting with anger or defensiveness uh, or some of the other ways we typically yeah. react. When somebody says something that we don't like or something that, that threatens our our belief system, or threatens our worldview, threatens our concept of who we are as a person.
0: Yeah, I, the more I dig deep in realizing who I am, I realize I'm a bunch of neurons. <laughs> Synapses like, you know, falling hormones release, and then I have thoughts and labels to these interactions. And I, I want to get to know, I want to get to know why I respond that way and um, and so I'm getting to the process of understanding it before it happens like you say and that I am not those I'm not a baggage of neurons and like hormones that goes off I think when we're able to go beyond that I think we, we can discover our true essence but I think it's really um, a, a process uh, so with Inner Compass,
1: it started out as a personal journey to shift your focus. Uh, How did it manifest in terms of what you could contribute for other people and other institutions, other companies, when you were working with them?
0: Sure. Uh, Inner Compass started off, uh, I was, so after my degree in a master's in interaction design, so I pivoted my career. I didn't, I went for a higher degree and after I graduated, instead of finding a job right away, I needed a break and I really need to evaluate, you know, where I want to be next. Um, I did a retreat with Buddhist monks on technology for a week in Burlingame, California, joined a yoga program. I did a 200 and then continued with an advanced program and I ended up teaching yoga and it was not an aim for me to go into teaching. It was me part of healing and I ended up covering a class and then they asked me to continue and I taught, you know, weekly classes. And as I advanced my practice, I became a yoga instructor for the teacher training. And out of that, uh, beyond teaching asanas, I taught communication, how to hold space and um, subtle bodies and energy work. And I realized, you know, the most important thing is how we practice, you know, off the yoga mat. I think, you know, a lot of people have heard about that. And I integrated the things that I've learned from my professional life and also with my spiritual practice and yoga teaching and really how to practice this in our interaction of our waking career life and, um from there i also bring this energy in how i hold space in when i work with within the companies so in user experience design we hold workshops we are space holder we facilitate the conversation and dialogue and building the right um, assess the right the situation and i also mentor and advise startups and a lot of it i I help align their brand mission and then also into the things that they want to launch out into the world. So I come out with more questions and I end up being the mirror that reflect of what is it that would they want to manifest out into the world. Right. Um, And that's
1: often what happens with us when we're interacting with another person, we're each other's mirrors. So It makes perfect sense. You know, I I really like what you said about holding space, and that's a term that probably you didn't hear much five years ago. It's come into focus more in the last couple of years. Could you explain to me, as well as the audience, what your notion is of holding space?
0: Sure. Um, So it's also sensing the energy in the room. And as you enter a space, I think it's also realizing not just the physical, but the interaction of the space. And as a facilitator of, you know, a person who's holding space, it's just really bringing awareness to the total physical space, as well as noticing the awareness of the sound, the decibel, how we articulate, not what we say, but how we say it. Um, the cadence of the movement of the room. So if I was to host a place, I always, um, you know, I also am a hardware chapter lead. And when I host these events, I ensure people feel accepted when they walk into the space. And um, and also as if you're a facilitator, you lead the ambiance and the, the pace of that space. You know, you set um, I, hate, I don't like to use the word boundaries, but you are a container in terms of the feeling of the room, the engagement or disengagement, and um, it's gentle nudges and it's it's how can you create a what sort of feeling do you want to create within that space? and uh, there are multiple you know, ways of the way that you can design that, whether it's a physical of, you know, chairs and pillows, lighting, whether um, the the temperature and uh, sound and whether or not you're speaking one-on-one or you're gathering people in groups of three so that they introduce themselves. But it's really a feeling that you're offering within that space.
1: Uh, do you often feel the urge to rearrange or augment the physical space to create a certain vibration or a certain energy in the room?
0: Can you repeat that, please?
1: Yeah, I was saying, do you often <clears throat> rearrange or augment this space to create uh, the, the type of energy that you
0: Sure. That you're looking to, um, yeah. So, so even in, like, you know, when I have meetings, it, whether it's professional or it's, like, a more yoga, pra- uh, a, like a workshop that I'm doing, depending what it is, um, you, know, you know, just, like, the physical circle is very different than, like, a, a square or a table, um, you know, even in, in, in terms of how the energy is transferred and flow. And this is also translated into feng shui practice, the way things are, are right. placed. place. Um, right. So also if you were, you know, having incense in the room to create that spirituality of, of the right. scent, you know, or right. before right. you enter into the talk, maybe you have a 30 second sitting and sounding of the bell to acknowledge, you know, that's so right. like a, a, an yep. acknowledgement.
1: Right, you know, this this discussion has just flown and we have like approximately 30 seconds left left to it, believe it or not. Uh is there anything you want to impart our listeners uh so that they something that is very very um particular to you uh that they might carry away from this conversation.
0: Um if we can just strive just one moment in a day to steal our feet, what would that feel like? I that just caught kind of the top love, of my head. That's it. I love that.
1: Well, uh, Na, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you tonight. My guest, Na Nuyen, uh, is a founder facilitator for InterCompass and an independent UX design strategist. Na, it's been a pleasure having you on Munnergy Life. I want to wish you and my audience a beautiful evening. So good night to everybody. Thank you so much now for being on the program.
0: Thank you so much, Robert. Have a great night, everyone. Bye-bye. Good night.